This episode of This Podcast is Making Me Thirsty is brought to you by Leapin' Larry's, Leapin' Larry's Appliances. If you can beat our prices, we'll give you the store. Welcome to This Podcast is Making Me Thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Follow us on Instagram at This Thirsty. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. This podcast is making me thirsty. Join our Patreon, patreon.com backslash Seinfeld podcast. Bonus episodes up there. Our first 16 episodes are up there. All kinds of good stuff. Join now, folks. Go to our website, SeinfeldPodcast.com. Our rankings are there. All of our episodes are there. Lots of good stuff. Email us at this podcast is making me thirsty at gmail.com. If you dig it, please pass it on. Thank you for listening. Please enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 139. Today's guest is a two-time Emmy Award nominee and an American Cinema Editors Award winner. He has worked on the production crew as a director and an editor for over 50 TV series, including Grace Under Fire, News Radio, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Mom. And of course, he was the editor for two seasons on Seinfeld, please welcome Skip Collector. Skip, thanks for joining. My pleasure. Glad to be on the show. Uh, Skip, we've spoken to cinematographers, writers, hairdressers, costume designers from Seinfeld, but never an editor. So this is a this is a real treat. So take us back. Um, Nineteen ninety six, I believe, you got the job on Seinfeld season eight. Tell us a little bit about how that role came about. I know you, again, you had a great resume, obviously Grace Under under Fire in 95, 96, and then came Seinfeld. Um, how'd, how'd the role come about? Um, I was, it was late. Um, it was after the July 4th weekend. And, um, you know, normally you're tied up by June sometime. And I was probably about three weeks away from going to table with the next season of uh, Grace and uh, was working for a buddy of mine, just doing some interstitial stuff and uh, got a call from my ex-wife who said, um, there's a Tim Kaiser on the phone from Seinfeld. I think you want to return this one. And I was like, okay. And to be honest, I, my first reaction was Janet was out of town and wasn't going to come back for a couple of weeks and that they just were looking for somebody to fill in. I honestly had no idea they were calling me for the show. I knew that I was a good editor. I just didn't have like that. I didn't know that many people or have that big of a resume, but it turns out that um, Mark Greenberg had worked with me on a pilot and remembered the work I did. And I worked with Andy Ackerman as well. So the next thing you know, I'm talking to Tim and we're talking about the season. And quite honestly, I had an out of body experience where I, I couldn't believe I was having this phone call. I mean, this biggest television show ever, and they're calling me. And so we start negotiating and it's on a Monday, I think right after 4th of July weekend. And, you know, we get to some terms pretty quickly and Tim goes, well, listen, Jerry's schedule isn't really good tomorrow and it's not really good Wednesday. Can you come down today? Wow. I said, well, let me call the man I'm working for and see if he can let me go. And, I'll get right back to you. So I call the guy I'm working with and I say, Hey, Evan, I got to jump, man. I got to go meet Jerry Seinfeld. And he's like, Oh yeah, sure. What's really happening. And I go, no man, they're calling me for the show. Well, he said immediately get out, go do your thing. So, um, 
I drive home because at the time I had blown, I'd torn my Achilles tendon playing tennis. I've got a cast on my left foot. So I, I tell Tim, I'm like, I'm only going to be wearing shorts and, you know, flip flops. And he goes, it's cool. Just, just come on in here. So I, I'm wearing a t-shirt. I decided to go home, put on a polo shirt. You know, my ex is going, what's going on? I said, I, I've got to go down there. And she's like, wow. So, you know, from, I was living in Hermosa beach at the time, which is literally like a quarter of a mile from where I am now and had probably, you know, 45 minutes to an hour drive to get there. So of course in my head, I'm just, you know, what's my favorite episode and right, this right. and that and so on and so forth. So, um, it's at CBS Radford that I'm real familiar with did a lot of shows there. I know right where the building is. And, um, cause I kind of met a couple of the writers working on other pro, uh, shows, pilots and things. And at that time when I was doing grace, you know, I'd have a break, I'd walk around, smoke a cigar and Max and Tom would be outside sometimes with Peter Melman, and they'd be smoking on porch, writing stuff down, and I just hang out with them. And so it was kind of nice to just meet those guys. So I go upstairs; it's empty, you know, and I'm just kind of just one person sitting in this big bullpen area. And next thing I know, here's Jerry walking down the hall, and he looks at my cast. He goes, "What happened?" I go, "Tennis." He goes, "Oh man! All right, well, come on." And so, luckily, uh, when I got to the meeting, it was Tim. It was Max and Dave, and it was Peter. So I have kind of a room of friendlies, people that I've worked with who know me. And I think the interview took about 10 or 15 minutes. I mean, it felt longer, of course. Um, of course, he did ask me what my favorite episode was. Yeah. Uh, I said the Cadillac, his was the rye. But the Cadillac ties into the rye. So um, anyway... It was a really good meeting. And one other thing I'll, I'll actually double back to tell you is, you know, right before I came in to meet with Jerry, I asked him, I said, Tim, look, I know I'm not your first call. So explain what's going on. And he goes, well, no, you're not the first call. But it appears that the people ahead of you, when they would meet Jerry, would fall into two categories. One. They'd either be so nervous that they couldn't talk, or two, they were so nervous they couldn't stop talking. I thought, well, that's um, that's good news for me to know. I'll try to make my answers kind of simple and just not get too starstruck. So after about 15 minutes, Jerry goes, okay, really nice meeting you, um, but we'll talk. And Tim's walking me out, and he's going, I think that went really, really well. So... I get back in the car and I'm driving home and as is, you know, part of my neurotic Jewish background, every 10 minutes I'm driving and my phone isn't ringing. I'm beating myself that I up that I, I said the wrong thing. I didn't give this answer right. 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 I didn't do that. You know, and I'm just kicking myself. And then halfway home, the phone rings and it's Tim. And he says, you're in. And I'm like, holy shit. He goes, um, one thing though, uh, you asked for X numbers of dollars. Uh, is it okay if Jerry pays you a hundred dollars more a week? And I'm like, <laughs> normally they're trying to grind you down. They're never asking for more. And I go, what's that about? And he goes, well, Paul Reiser pays his editor the same money you're asking for. And Jerry wants to pay you a hundred dollars more just to fuck with Paul. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Great story. That's great. It was, uh, it, it was just, it was, again, I was out of body. I called my dad. I called my mom. My dad called me back the next day to say, really? You got that show? I'm like, yes, dad. And, and dad, yeah. In a 15 minute interview, like, so does Jer what is, what does Jerry ask? Like, what's your philosophy? Like, what does an editing uh, well, interview kind of go like? It's it's really such a difficult question to answer um, because there's so much nuance. All I could say is that um, in my, if I had to say that I had a style, which I don't, other than to try to be true to the story. Um, 
you know, ti- timing clearly is, I mean, that's obvious, but I, I use reactions, you know, I mean, I'm like, I like to go to reactions to counterpoint, you know, the line, you know, the punchline. Um, and I just also am very conscious of pacing. And I knew for their, their show, that was super key. Um, and I, you know, to be honest with you, I don't remember what other stuff I babbled about, but, right. um, it was just like looking through all the dailies to try to find these couple little pieces of gold, because if that's where it is, you know, you have to, you have to sit there and look through all that. You might find a look, you know, that you can use somewhere else, for, you know, and suddenly you just made something funnier. And if I can ever make something funnier than the writer's right, then I'm really doing my job. Yeah, and then that, I actually had a, a question. I actually wrote that almost literally verbatim. You just answered for me. That's great. But but curious, if you could, uh, you know, touch on that a little bit more for, for our audience, kind of take us through like, you know, what a typical week was for you uh, uh, for editing, like what what it involved from, from kind of start to finish. I mean, are you, um, when you're editing, is Jerry in the room with you or is the writer of the episode without Larry there, who's kind of steering that ship or how much leeway are they giving you? Just, on a, you know, typically speaking uh, on a normal week, like kind of walk our audience through like what that, what that looks like from, from your perspective. Well, you know, I came on the last two seasons when Larry wasn't there. So I think Larry was very involved in the editing. Um, the system grew as we went. I remember the very first time I had no one in the room. And um, I just would go in on Monday. They shot on they shot the show over three days. I, I'm sure that you guys probably already know this by now. Um, Monday, Tuesday, without an audience where I'm in my edit room cutting those scenes. And then Wednesday with the audience where, you know, when we're in a swing set or an outside set that the audience could never see, they'll do a live scene, then they'll play back a tape scene that I've cut, and then they'll play another live scene. And then they make you two cut scenes that I did on swing sets or outside. And so when we shot on Wednesdays, I was there on the set because I would, I would always have my script and take notes. Like if they were doing four takes and I had one that I just thought was just fantastic, you know, I would just mark my script and bracket what I thought, you know, from this take or that take. And that way, when I got to the edit room, I had some form of a, an idea. So if I could even mark, 50 to 70% of the takes I I thought might be better than others or sometimes mark a really funny outtake or whatever. I would have that. So I would go into my room, um, you know, Thursday, Jerry didn't like to edit on Thursday because he was really kind of tired from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday editing. I mean, uh, acting and writing. Right. Right. So he just wanted to hang with the writers on Thursday. So I had Thursday, Friday by myself. I don't remember how many extra days they gave me, but I know that they were coming in on the very first show that I cut. And um, it might have been Monday, I don't know, or Tuesday. Anyway, all I know is I went in that weekend and just on my own time to just go over everything that much more. You know, I didn't put in for it. That was my own time to just go in those days and just go through everything, like with a fine tooth comb. And I remember Jerry and Andy walking into my little office. I didn't have a very big office at all. There was just room for maybe a love seat in the back. And we sat down and they said, okay, play. I pushed the start button and the show was probably, that episode probably came in on the uh, first cut assembly at 27 minutes. You know, we had to get it down to about 23, 22 and a half. And just let it go. And I'm just like, my... I'm just damp under my arms. I'm just like, I don't know what, how this is going to go. And when it was all over, there was a lot of silence. Jerry looks over at Andy. He goes, well, we didn't see first cuts like that before. And I was like, I'm in. Wow. But, <laughs> and that's, you know, and skip, was, so skip, that's the foundation, right? Episode that, the first well, I mean, you, you know, you, you only get one time to make first impression. 
right? So if I knocked it out of the park on that one, then I they felt comfortable me understanding the show, understanding where the jokes were, finding the right performances, timing it, looking, you know, just just building um, and just making the story as as funny as I could, as it as they'd written it and produced it and shot it. That's incredible. And you mentioned 27 minutes and I probably to an editor to get it down to 22. It's got to, I mean, even that's got to be a big challenge, right? I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of meat, right? So I think my, my challenge really was to take the five, six minutes out, try not to get caught. (laughs) So what ended up unnoticeable, right? You're going to almost make it like it's, it's, uh, my feeling is with editing, if you see it, it's bad. So from that perspective, do you, did you over those last two years ever get pushback from any of the actors? Like, Hey, you know, that bit I did was really funny or any of that. I mean, or Um, I I can picture them coming up and kind of pleading like, you know, this scene was great. Did you get any of that? Most of the um, 99% of the time when the actors would see the playback, they'd be like, good job or thank you or whatever. One day I'm cutting one bit and, you know, um, Jason comes up to me after the end of the scene and he'd added something that wasn't in the script. He'd ad-libbed something at the very end of the scene. And I guess I should have considered the fact that it was just for the audience and for him and left it in. But I'm also thinking it's another 20 seconds that I know I'm going to cut out of the show. But he actually got on me a little bit about that. Um, that was the only time anybody ever said anything. And then after that, of course, if if he did anything a little extra at the end of the scene, I was absolutely sure to keep it in. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so then the um, you asked me about the how it ended up working. How it ended up working was Jerry would send the writer or team writing team down after I built the show to sort of try to get the time out. And sometimes that meant just looking for time. And sometimes that meant also reworking scenes. It was just, you know, that's how it worked out. What was it? Was it the writer of the show or we've heard, you know, without, okay. So it was typically the writer of the show because without Larry there and Jerry doing so much, um, you know, we've heard there was different camps kind of taking part of that producer or showrunner ish role from Jerry, like, you know, right. Alec Berg or, you know, maybe Melman's, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But it sounds like yeah, Jeff and Alec would come down. Um, Dave would come down Mandel. Mandel yeah. Um, the Robin, Rob, Andy Robbins and his partner. Um, yeah, Cavett. Ca- yeah, Cavett. Um, Jen, I think Crittenden was there. Um, so they'd come down and some of them would be very, um, want to be very involved in it or have very specific ideas. And some of them were literally just kind of looking at the show, kind of going, you know, we just, let's, how do we, what do you think about going from here to there, taking this out? And just taking out the time, it was that kind of situation. Right. Aside from the finale, which we want to get to, um, we have heard stories, although Larry wasn't technically show running anymore, season eight and nine, that he was on set. You know, he he would pop in or, or kind of be around. Did you have any interactions with Larry, you know, prior to the finale? Or or actually, you know, if not, then, you know, maybe we can get into the finale because, you know, now Larry comes back for the finale. Um, you know, you nominated for that was one of the ones nominated for an Emmy, right? The finale for you. Yeah. For, yeah. So, I mean, you got Larry of all of this footage. You have, you know, shots of galore, all the guest stars. I mean, that that take us kind of I know we're kind of jumping here, but maybe we just jump into the finale here with Larry. Well, and just what that you, endeavor was like. There's, let me set the situation. Directly preceding the finale had been the Puerto Rican day. That was a five-day shoot where I had 225,000 feet of film to deal with. <laughs> okay? I, I've known a friend of mine who directed a, a major motion picture and shot 150. Okay? So I had all this footage. The finale is going on where they've put a motion detector in my room, a new lock on my door. People couldn't keep pages. You've heard all the stories. 
Probably not as crazy as yours because you had the footage. You had the actual footage. Oh, right? I had to give it back every day. But on top of that, we were wrapping up the series. There was a nine-year retrospective gag reel that had to be built. So the last three weeks, four weeks of that whole experience was um, intense. And I didn't go home some nights. I mean, I literally would use a shower and a dressing room and go up and get one of the t-shirts they're throwing to the audience because I had my assistant and somebody else in another room building packages for the gag reel. I still had the Puerto Rican dam wrestling with, and we're shooting the finale. So it was, a, a, it was a beast. The whole thing was just a beast. I mean, first of all, I mean, I was there at the studio for two years, six days a week, and sometimes seven, because Jerry wouldn't edit, you know, we didn't like to edit on Thursday, and if he was busy Friday, then some days he was only available Saturday, Sunday, so I would literally drive in just to show him a cut and whatever. It was just, it was just a mammoth amount of work, but that's what everybody was doing. I mean, he, he worked harder than anybody. Um, the finale was really, really interesting besides all the security and everybody trying to guess the storyline. But it was fun for me to finally meet the famous one and only Larry David. And they sat in the back of the room going over the show and talking about it. Now, my first build of the entire script with all the flashbacks and everything in it was 88 minutes. Now it's an hour of television supposed to be 45. Yeah. What did net add at? Like 70 something? No, we got it down to like 47 or 48 minutes. And then after the rap party where I showed them a 27 minute retrospective gag reel, the people at NBC said, Oh, well, we've, we've got to air that too. So they, they tacked the gag reel or what they might've called the clip reel on the back of our 47 minute show and maybe added another five or 10 minutes to it. But there was so much pressure coming that I put on myself for that because, you know, I was only there for two seasons. I mean, you know, that's why they had this writer's assistant, Darren, I forgot his last name, um, working with my assistant, Dave, and Tim as well, knowing what, you know, were the funny bits, the out bits. And so I, you know, I'm, I mean, I think I, I worked on that three days straight maybe four days straight. That's why I never went home. Cause I mean, there were 600 people coming to the, to the party. And on top of all that, you know, um, is the finale. And there are shots that were on some of the finale tapes that were locked up. So I went to the mix to hear the sound mix and I see time code burn in on shots that should be pristine. And I'm like, Oh heck no. So I had to go back to the post house before the rap party dig through the tapes and realized that they'd stopped recording, went past and tacked some stuff on the short ends so at the ends of the tape. And they'd missed it in the, and when they online the uh, gag reel. So I found those shots and then called the associate producer and said, I've got to go home and get ready for the party. You got to come here and fix these shots. So, wow. but the, you know, the finale was just, it was just, a, it was, a, it was crazy. I mean, there was, it was like, it, you know, it was, was it was it fun, was it fun for you or were you just like anxiety stress Larry David there like tell us a little bit like well Larry and the Jerry in the back were they were fun you know um, when I'm sitting down at the Bay with them I wasn't really thinking about the gag reel or thinking about the Puerto Rican Puerto Rican Day I was literally thinking this is the penultimate episode of this incredible show and so my focus was really to service them and to just keep focusing on the show. What are we losing? Which flashback are we going to lose? How are we going to get from here to there? Like, how do we compress this? And basically almost cut it in half. Right. And so Skip, what? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is it, 
it was very polarizing, right? The finale. Yes. We, we enjoyed it. We enjoyed it for sure. What what got cut? Was there anything memorable that you remember that didn't make the cut? Oh, I just there were like oh, if I had my script, which you're looking, <laughs> I could go through it. But um, it was just certain flashbacks. You know, there were just certain flashbacks to different funny moments when they were, you know, behaving badly or yeah, whatever. There's so I, I, many it's of now them. It's yeah. been 26 years, you know. Um, it's it's hard for me to 24 years to to really remember because at the time it was all so there was so much going on, and all I wanted to do was just the best possible job I could do and 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 build the show they they wanted to build. And Skip, are you are you on set watching live and kind of making mental notes, or do you wait until you get kind of everything in, in that back room, if you will? Well, a lot of times I don't have the time to be outside when they're shooting stuff. So a lot of times the Monday, Tuesday stuff that they did on their swing sets and outside stuff, I, I might have visited, but I couldn't stay very long. So all of that stuff I'm kind of cutting from scratch. As I said before, um, when I'm on the stage, I am, I've got the script in my hand and I'm literally writing on the script, you know, pieces that I, think are just gold or they would let the audience go at about 11 and some nights we'd shoot another hour and a half so then it was like trying to remember or write down what the alt jokes were and what, what i might like or think about those and what the different lines were and make notes to myself so i just remember um, when i sat back down the next day to edit but sometimes you're just like with the Puerto Rican day, it was five days in the back of, I think, back lot of Universal or somewhere. I was never there. So that's literally hours of sitting there watching my quad split run at speed and looking at take after take of this or that and trying to find the pieces that I'm looking for and then how to bridge from here to there. and. You know, it's a very, uh, if you've never really sat in an edipe, which most people can, can't tolerate because it's tedious work, and you just hear the same, same. I mean, I've been working at home now for like three years since the pandemic, and my girlfriend would be like, man, I just heard you go over that line like eight times. What were you looking at? I said, okay, first time I'm actually looking for the words. The second time I'm looking for the other person's reaction. The third time I'm making sure there's no physical mismatch on the set the next time i'm trying to see if i have a word that i i love this take but one word's garbled so i'm going to try to go back to take six i'm on take nine and see if i can steal that word from that you know person and put it in their mouth to make this take work i mean it is it's incredibly detailed work yeah i'd like to actually stay here for a second because it, it's fascinating to me i mean editing in general whether it's just writing and then someone edits or you're editing yourself yourself editing right or, or you're talking about your t tv or you go to movies even music you know they do 15 cuts 15 takes and then they release you know they make 12 songs and only 10 make the album right the whole editing process especially for someone that overthinks things it's like oh did i leave this one out should i kept that in that was a killer you look at someone like you know, Bob Dylan or Neil Young, who has all this unreleased stuff. That's incredible. Right. So to your point there, I mean, like how, how often did you like cut something and almost think to yourself like, ah, you know, that I wanted to keep in, or, you know, if that only stayed in, or there's, there's just so much, so many levels to it. You just mentioned it's so tedious. It's so demanding. You're just in the room, just back and forth, you know, every little thing, it's just, it's commendable and it's it's a certain skill that, you know, it takes a lot of patience. Um, I'm just, you know, curious, you know, in your mind, like where, where were you like uh, struggling with it, with a, with an editor, you know, something like that. I don't know. Just kind of keep, well, keep going with that point. The, you know, the, I guess the good news is the process is my editor's cut is the full script. So I'm not, I'm not taking out anything. That's producer work. You know, my job is to show them everything and then they decide what is or isn't working. So most of the time there I'll pitch sometimes, of course I'll pitch. Uh, but most of the time 
I leave that to them uh, unless they're struggling for something. And I think there's something that we can that we can do and jump. And, you know, it's kind of a give and take situation. And and we get down there and then sometimes, you know, they'll get within 10 seconds and go. I'll just say I can get the rest of it out by just nipping, tucking frames. That's yeah. It's funny. And you, you sound like a Seinfeld fan and it's funny. We all remember the Marine biologist that, that final scene. And, you know, the story is that they did that in one cut. Like yeah. that was it. Yep. Uh, it happens. Know, Jason Alexander's speech. So rare. Yeah. So yeah, take us, take us a little into uh, season eight and nine. I mean, um, Peter Melman, friend of the show, uh, you know, the yada yada, for instance, I know NBC gave you guys extra time to do that that episode. Is just because you're you're so in tune in like 22 minutes, right? That's what every show has to be. And then when they give you extra time, was that kind of a a, a blessing for you, or did that kind of throw off what you normally are used to? Tell me a little bit about like an episode like the yada yada where you know. NBC was looking for that extra time and obviously to, you know, uh, I guess get more commercial airtime. Anytime I can make a show longer is good for me. Yeah. Because I can leave stuff. So, you know, we don't have to, you know, cut the babies we love so much. Um, so whenever they're giving me time, I'm, I'm loving it. If we have to take time out, that's not a good thing. But um, the Yada Yada was uh, a, just a tremendous episode. I mean, I can't tell you how many hours I spent laughing my ass off in my room. I mean, <laughs> you know, just watching these people do this stuff was what a joy. I mean, that one, I remember cutting the, the montage of the dinner scene of the man hands episode when they're, they're cracking the lobster. And I mean, I, I lost it every single time I went through that scene. I mean, I just, <laughs> I couldn't help it. It was just the most hysterical thing. But the yada yada was so just beautiful because it it became urban lexicon. Right. I yeah. mean, it was great. Uh, and I don't remember whether they gave us more time or took time away. I honestly don't remember other than the fact that, you know, it was a beautiful episode, a great episode. I mean, they were all fantastic. Yeah. You had mentioned earlier, you told Jerry the, the Cadillac was your favorite. Um was that as a, as just a fan of comedy or was there something editing wise too, that you're like, you know, that particular one kind of stuck out to you or was it just, that's your favorite episode for. Well, it just, it was a couple of things. I mean, it was hysterical. The whole, you know, going to dinner at four 30 with his parents that he's given his dad a car and his dad's like, not that interested that. Um, and that, the way they tied up the rye when he, you know, Morty's going for the homeowners association. He's just about to lock it in. And this whole, and this lady, this one lady who's got to just give her approval comes in and goes, you, you told, stole my rye. And just everything just completely implodes. And I just thought the whole thing with the car with, I think they even had part of the pen, astronaut pen guy in with yeah, that. Yeah. Kloppus is in there. There was so much great stuff in that whole thing. And the way that it, again, that it tied up the other story, I just thought was so brilliant. So another really interesting episode in season nine was the betrayal, which is the uh, opposite episode, if you will, or, exactly. you know, what? Yeah. Opposite. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, that must've been, even when I rewatched it, I'm like, well, how did it do that? You know, really interesting. Like, tell us a little bit about that. And, a, if it was like, I don't know, I keep asking if it was stressful, but it seemed like that would, could have been a stressful episode. No, I mean, once I, once I got there and, and got used to um, the schedule and how everybody worked, it wasn't – the only time I got stressed, really, was, A, the very first time I ran for Jerry, um, and, B, at the very end when we had these two huge elements and the gag reel to all try to work on at the same time. Other than that, you know, it was pretty – I got it. We all got into a rhythm and um, it wasn't a stressful job. It was, it was a beautiful job and, and nobody really ever pushed me to get anything done any faster than I was going to do it because I have a process. And if I need a little extra time to make something right, I do. Um, but um, to your question, 
the episode. Um, you think it's happening in reverse with the Indian oh, wedding? And- you know, I kind of feel like to some degree, um, and this is a bit of a sidebar, that had I actually, um, they came to me to, uh, while all the finale and the um, Puerto Rican data, all this stuff was going on. They said, well, what episode are you going to put up for the Emmy this year? And I just, I figured the finale, but then again, I wasn't sure how the audience was going to take it. And when I didn't win, I thought, you know, had I just used the backwards episode because, because of how controversial the finale was, they didn't look at the amount of work that went into it. They just looked at whether it was a funny episode. And I think if I would have actually put up the, uh, the backwards episode, I would have won the Emmy that year, but sidebar, um, cutting it together wasn't all that difficult. Um, the, you know, they had it mapped out clearly in the script. It was um, a rift on a Bertolt Brecht play, I guess, that runs backwards. And it was super clever, and it worked out great. I loved it. Uh, George's big boots. The whole, it was just hysterical. And I think that would have probably done service me better. But at the time, I thought, they've got to see how much work's going into the finale. you know. And But it's people watching the show and deciding whether it's funny or not. Yeah. I, and to your point, I think that's, that's interesting because we talk about that a lot that like, you know, what's popular doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, like you said, the, the best work was done and things like that. Um, the other one that was, um, that was put up, I think for an Emmy was, was the pothole, right? Um, is that well, right? My first one was, I believe the abstinence. Oh, the abstinence. You're right. The abstinence. That's, yes, what, yes. I, that's what I got my ace ready for. Yes. Yes. Um, the, the, I wrote the pothole down as a note because of, um, we've heard stories of it being, uh, one of the more intricate shots and there was like the upside down under the toilet and overhead oh. shots and all <laughs> that sort of brush, stuff. Right. And the it cost the most money. So yeah. The toothbrush. Like, and we, we, great yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. We, we heard, we heard all that. And those. also on the Frogger, when they get up over the street and they're watching George cut through the cars, I mean, yeah. like it just, you know, TV will never. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that now, but because now some of the streaming budgets are ridiculous, but there was nothing that we couldn't do. I mean, NBC gave Jerry carte blanche to write and shoot and whatever. It was never money. After that, it was a different story. The models started changing. But I mean, we could do anything. He could do anything. And, uh, you know, turning... Kramer into a Kenny roaster chicken. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So, Skip, yeah, what were some of your <laughs> part of so many, so many memorable episodes? What the Kenny Rogers, obviously one of them. What are some of the other ones that you were most fond of? Uh, either uh, just for being a part of or actually, actually editing. I mean, they were all great, but I mean, uh, you know, again, I loved Manhands, loved the abstinence, loved the yada yada. Uh, good, ugly, bad, uh, good, good, naked, bad, naked. Uh, another hysterical episode. Um, I think, uh, yeah, Kenny Roasters, uh, the slicer, another, I mean, I was just the muffin top. <laughs> they were just, I, you know, they're all, they were all just great. Yeah. There's a lot going on. There's so many different, uh, we talk about this a lot in seasons eight and nine, uh, things got, just more outlandish, bigger, yeah. grander, more cartoonish. And with that came so many shots, just quick shot of this. Like that, that must've been a whole new level of editing too, as far as like most sitcoms are like, they're sitting in their, you know, two sets. Whereas the uh, Seinfeld, there is 15, 16 different, you know, vignettes and things like that. I'm assuming um, that was a challenge or at least something different for, for a television editor. Oh, it was, it was yeah. I mean, I get, a, I get a scene that was basically stage direction, you know, and it's, you know, Kramer running down the street, George chasing him or something. But um, I have a clapper here. I don't know. I'm, people probably have talked about the the gifts and things that they were so generous to give away at the end of the show. One of the shows was uh, an old clapper, you know, that had the last shot of the last scene of the last show on. And, you know, normally your scenes are A through R or something like that. And this thing's like scene double D, triple D. I mean, there were just so many tiny little bits of this and that. 
and it made it fun, it, you know, because it was a, it was a challenge. I mean, I like the challenge. Um, I love the f- challenge of taking all of this footage and turning it into. I mean, I, I was just always conscious of the fact that I was working on something important, something big, something meaningful, and so I, you know, I just took it very seriously and just would just plow through everything and really try to tell the story and try to, you know, exaggerate this or push this up a little if that I could, you know, and it didn't always, it didn't always work. You know, sometimes my, my perspective on something was a little different than someone else's, but they gave me a lot of leeway to do whatever I kind of felt like, because once they knew that I, you know, well, obviously I knew the show and and knew what they were looking for. And once I got their pacing and everything else down, it was like, you know, they, they gave me a fair amount of leeway to do whatever I wanted to do up until the point that they came in to just finish everything up. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like that based on the way you, you painted that picture on that first meeting when you're in that room and you got it 27 minutes and Ackerman and Jerry came in and were like, great. So, and I'm just going to go back, you know, two years prior again, you got that phone call. You, you said it was late July, uh, early July. So were you were you under contract at Grace Under Fire? And then you know the Seinfeld thing happened. You're like, sorry, I got to take this. Or how does that work? You know, in well, the editing world. Well, I was worried because you know we're talking about Carsey Werner as a production right. company. I mean, this is Cosby. Yeah. This is Sybil. This is Roseanne. This Roseanne, is like. They're, yeah. they're, this is a huge show. And I mean, I don't ever, I had never burned a bridge. In other words, I'd never told someone I was coming back and then didn't show up. I mean, never. And the line producer was somebody that I'd worked with before and whatnot. And I, I ended up having to call somebody higher up in the food chain to just sort of say, look, it it pains me to do this, but, I have to do this. And, you know, some of them took it better than others. Um, but at the end of the day, there was really no question. But it was a difficult situation. It was a difficult phone call for me to make. Um, it was a real difficult phone call because in our business, it's all relationship-based, you know? And I don't want to be the guy that always just sort of takes a powder. I never had been, but when you get a once yeah. in a lifetime opportunity, you, you have to, you have to go. Yeah. And, and speaking of, you mentioned relationships and I don't know if there's a connection here, but your, your next stop after Seinfeld was, was it news radio with Tom Sharonis, who obviously was the legendary director on Seinfeld on seasons mm-hmm. one through five. Right. Was, was that the, like had that role come about? Was there a Seinfeld connection or introduction there? Um, I'm, I knew one of the producers on the show and they were looking for somebody different and they actually just reached out to me. I don't think it was Tom. I think it was the line producer who brought me in to meet with Paul Sims and all those guys. And that was a very bittersweet situation because um, Phil Hartman actually happened on my birthday and it was the end of May and I'm supposed to start the show in July and one of the leads is gone and I get a call from my producer who goes just hang tight and we'll see what, but you know, we're not whatever. And then they came up with love. It's, and we ended up doing the show, but um, that was a really fun show to work on. I actually directed two episodes of that show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was, I mean, that was my third, second show with Andy, Andy Dick. Yeah. I mean, he's a character and, and Phil Harmon. Yeah. That was, that was devastating. He's, was, he's yeah, one I was, of, was literally of all time in shock. Yeah. Um, you know, wh- while we're kind of on this subject, there was one question I wanted to ask you. So, so, you know, you leave Seinfeld and you've obviously the, the admiration you had for, for Jerry and the rest of the crew is, is evident in, in how you're talking to us about working there and, you know, working with them. And, um, 
and then you go out to news radio, which is another, it's a, it's, it's a big hit. I mean, for those not, not around at the time, it, 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 it was a big show and it was a very good show. Well-written, um, great cast, but you know, you did a, many shows after it. So I'm just curious, you know, what, what did you take with you from the Seinfeld set? What was different as you go to these other sets like that, that, that wasn't on Seinfeld or maybe that you mimicked that you saw the differences or how Jerry worked or, you know, what you learned from working, you know, working with Jerry and, and, and all, all his guys there, uh, Mandel and Berg and the whole crew. But, um, uh, how is it different when you go to these other sets? I mean, you don't have to like, you know, spill, spill details of bad stuff. I just mean, generally speaking, like, no, uh, what are you um, picking up on? Like, how, how's it, how's it different? What are you learning from, from Jerry? You know, I, all of my knowledge base for the most part was learning from the different people I worked with. And I, so I learned the producers and the directors, the people that sort of taught me comedy. And so you naturally take away things from Seinfeld, but nothing was like Seinfeld. I mean, for the first five years that I would go for an interview for a new show, nine times out of 10, the exec producers didn't want to talk about their show. They wanted to know what was it like? What was it like working on that show? And, you know, what are you going to say? It was, it was crazy and beautiful. But, you know, I always kept honing my craft and trying to learn something from everybody. And part of the thing I took away there was um, a lot of times how much how I could take out a lot of time and and do it in a way that it didn't look choppy or awkward. I mean, if I had to boil it down, because look, performance is always performance. Timing's timing. But Seinfeld was always between six and nine minutes long on every episode. and so. There, the trick was for me, my training there, one of the things was, again, I don't like to get caught, you know, with my editing. I just, if I can somehow figure some workaround where it looks like it's somehow smooth or somehow I can trick your eye into seeing something else, that, that was probably one of the stronger lessons I would say that I took from that. Because, you know, obviously I, you know, know where the punchline is and who to be on when they're talking and so on and so forth. Yeah, and the son, you know, we spoke with Jonathan Wolf. I'm curious how closely you you worked with him because music does play a part, right? At these these end scenes that you're referring to, where you can kind of cut some time, but they, you know, what I won't, you know, like whatever that little beat is, and that can add time, right? Like, sure. I, I always wondered how how closely you kind of worked with with Jonathan Wolf and kind of that the music department, if you will. Well, I'm always conscious of trying to let them have time to ring out their music you know and sometimes you can and sometimes you can't i mean when i've got a producer saying we need to cut this scene right here and just and the camera's moving like 10 frames or five frames after their line it's like i i've only got what i've got and sometimes you they don't normally want to ring out stuff in black but you know, I'm always constantly of trying to give the composer some time to get their cues, but ultimately they'll get my block cut and they'll have to match to it. So if it's just, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll temp in stuff because I would always temp in, you know, cues. I would temp in backgrounds and temp in sound effects. Um, I wanted my cut to be really fleshed out like you were watching it. Now, of course, they're going to replace my loops of background outside noise or whatever clanging and pots and pans Kramer's doing or whatever right. augmenting what he's got. But um, yeah, I'm always going to give them some idea of how it should all sound together. And then they'll go back to the mix and redo a lot of that. Yeah. And, and um, you know, you just mentioned Kramer, but you know, you touched on uh, Jason kind of the one time anyone ever said anything was about <laughs> Jason comment, um, but we didn't really get to Julia or, or, or Michael. I mean, obviously we talked to Jerry about Jerry a lot, um, what was your interaction like with, with Julia and Michael and, and sort of from a, from a professional standpoint, from a personal standpoint, I mean, how often you, are you kind of, uh, with them, um, you know, on a personal and professional level, you know, editing their takes, I'm sure Michael Richards had a million things to choose from and, and things like that, his facial expressions. Uh, um, yeah. I just wanted your thoughts on the two, the two other stars. Um, you know, actors don't generally come to the edit bay. I, it's, a, it's kind of a hard fast rule, and really never let them up there. Um, Julia is a delight. 
she's a lovely, lovely person. Everybody was. Um, Jason was really, really sweet too. We just had the one little thing where he got a little bit out of shape, but that didn't last very long. Michael was the more standoffish. He was always kind of off to the side working on his bits. He was very cerebral and very, he did a lot of work. I'll, I'll tell you the only time that we ever had any kind of conversation or where we actually even locked eyes and had a couple words spoken was I brought my two daughters to the set one day when they were little girls and Michael just lit up when he saw them and came over to talk to them and could not have been sweeter to my girls. And, um, you know, I was just kind of blown away because I always felt he was a little more aloof, a little whatever. My kids just, he was, he could not have been sweeter and nicer to them. And so I, you know, same with Jerry and everybody. I mean, I was there on show night. They'd see my work, you know, they'd see how they looked. They'd see that I protected them as much as I possibly can, uh, tried to make them as even funnier than they already were. Um, so it was, um, I think it was kind of, I felt respected and I gave it back to them. It was a very respectful set. You know, we were all professionals working really hard to, to hold up this standard that everyone expects. And so it was fun, but it was also serious. That was, I took that very seriously. Well, listen, it's, it's easy to see why Jerry hired you in 15 minutes. I mean, just your, your respect for the show, your respect for the job, it's incredible. And, you know, for my money, the name's Skip Collector, best name in Hollywood. So we, we, uh, we, thank you. we, we can't thank you enough for, uh, uh, for telling these stories. And, I mean, obviously, your work speaks for itself. Bravo. Thank you so much. It was, again, um, thank you for bringing me on the show. Um, that was undoubtedly the highlight of my career that I, a guy from Virginia comes to LA to work on a show. I don't know anybody. I don't have any relatives out here and I just kind of work and work and work and then get an opportunity like this. I, I am fulfilled. I am pretty much semi-retired at this point. I did it. I was there. I, you know, and it, and um, it feels good. Um, I I I did a real good job for those people. I worked my ass off of them because they deserve to have somebody like you know work like that. And uh, it was a privilege and an honor. And I always had such great things to work with. You know, it's like an editor can't really produce anything of value or anything funny unless they've given been given all this these gifts of footage. And Andy always just had every angle covered and I never was, I never was looking for a shot. It's like, I knew it was there. I just had to kind of find which take, but it was, it was an embarrassment of riches. It was just a, and, uh, great. And a hundred bucks extra a week didn't hurt either. There you go. That was, I tell people that I tell that people, <laughs> that sort of people today and they just, I mean, it floored me. It floored me. That was, I told my dad that story. He just fell off his chair. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Skip, thanks so much. Thank you, Skip. This was great. My pleasure. You guys Thank take you care. So much. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.